السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ انشاءاللہ وی لرن اباؤٹ ہاؤ دا صحابہ وین ایور دا پروفیٹ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم آسک دم ا کوسچن دے نیو وین ٹو انسر دیٹ کوسچن اینڈ وین ٹو سے اللہ انز میسنجر نو بیٹر سو اٹس دس از پارٹ آف وزڈم دس از پارٹ آف فک انڈرسٹینڈنگ دیٹ اے پرسن نوز واٹ ٹو ڈو وین نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما okay, we were learning about tahammul al hadith and imam bukhari mentioned munawala as well as sama' as well as kitaba as well as one more way he mentioned which was of and out. And there are many other ways of tahammul al-hadith which the scholars have accepted, meaning if a person has narrated hadith based on such sources, scholars have accepted that. Why? Because of lack of time and the great number of students. Because everyone would not have the chance to stay with the shaykh and study everything from him. Similarly, there were so many students whom the shaykh could not give one-on-one attention to. So this is why there are many ways of tahammul al-hadith and all of them are valid, all of them are acceptable. But amongst them, such as munawala, as well as wujada, as well as wasiyah, and other ways, scholars have said that a person could only narrate the hadith based on such ways of tahammul al-hadith as long as the shaykh had also explicitly given the ijazah to the student. You understand? Like for example, if the scholar gave the book to the student, It wasn't permissible for the student to start quoting a hadith just like that, unless and until the teacher said that you are allowed to narrate a hadith from this book of mine or from this document of mine. So many of these ways come along with ijazah. Ijazah is a condition for their acceptance. Anyway, there are many other things about such ways, about the hamul al-hadith, which is another science of its own. But I just wanted you to be familiar with these terms and these ways. I don't want to go into all of that detail. Because right now is not the time and place. I just would like you to be familiar with these ways. Ijazah. What's the root of ijazah? Hmm? It's from jaiz, right? Permissible. Permission. So ijazah is to make something jaiz for someone. Meaning to give the student the permission to narrate. To give the student the permission to teach. That your teacher has tested you and they trust you. They know that you have understood, you have learned properly, and therefore they have given you the permission to teach. Okay, to pass on the knowledge that you have gained from them. Right, this is what ijazah is. Anyway, let's continue. Bab man qa'ada haythu yantahi bihil majlisu wa man ra'a furjatan fil halqati fajalasa fiha. Bab man qa'ada, the one who sat, haythu, where, yantahi. Bihi al-majlisu, where the majlis ends, meaning at the end of the majlis, at the end of the gathering. Waman and the one who ra'a furjatan, who saw a gap, fil halqati in the circle, in the halqah, fajalasa fiha, so he sat in it. After mentioning the ways of gaining knowledge, now Imam Bukhari is mentioning the majlis. The gathering of knowledge. That what should be the etiquette of the student of knowledge in the gathering. And over here he mentions two things in this chapter heading that it is permissible for a person to sit at the end of the gathering and also to sit in a gap that he finds in the halqa. Halqa is actually a circle. What is it? A circle. And the Prophet ﷺ when he sat with his companions they would form circles. Why? 
because that everybody was able to see the Prophet ﷺ as well as one another. But this is only possible when there is a small group of people. If there are many, many people, then it's not possible to have one circle. Right? It will become very difficult to see one another. Those of you who have been here for a long time, you know that many times when we've had our you know, quizzes and competitions, we've tried to sit in circles in this classroom, and our circles are huge. Hmm? Why? Because alhamdulillah, we're so many in number. So when there's a smaller group of people, then it is better that people sit in a circle. But when there's a huge group of people, then it's better than that people sit in a way that is appropriate, that everybody can benefit. So if a person comes into a gathering of knowledge and he sits at the end of the majlis, is that permissible? Yes, it is. If a person comes and finds a gap in the middle of the majlis, can he come and sit there? Yes, it is permissible. Now, we see over here that both of these ways, that if a person sits at the end where the people end, meaning right behind them, or if he finds a gap and he sits there, both of them are permissible as long as a person does not cause any inconvenience or any disturbance. If a person finds an empty spot, he should, he must go and fill that up. But if he does not find a spot, then what should he do? He should go and sit at the end of the majlis. What we learn from this is that a person should not demand that a separate spot must be reserved for him. That if a separate spot has not been reserved for him, he says, I'm not staying here, I'm going away. No, wherever you find a place, go and sit there. Don't move other people. Don't cause disturbance, don't cause any inconvenience, and don't even go away. Wherever you find a spot, fill it up. And if a person goes into a majlis and somebody offers him some space next to him, then what should he do? He should go ahead. He should go and benefit from that opportunity. So let's look at the hadith. حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثني مالك عن إسحاق بن عبد الله بن أبي طلحة أن أبا مرة Mawla Aqil ibn Abi Talib. Aba Murra, Abu Murra, who was the Mawla of Aqil ibn Abu Talib. What does the word Mawla mean? Freed slave. Do you remember? Mawla is freed slave. So Abu Murra was the freed slave of who? Aqil ibn Abi Talib. So he is the one who is narrating this hadith. That he said that Akhbarahu an Abi Waqidin al-Layfi. Abu Waqid al-Layfi informed him that Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam baynama once while huwa jalisun he was sitting where? fil masjidi in the masjid wa nasu ma'ahu and the people were with him idh aqbala when he advanced when he came who came? salasatu nafarin three men nafar you know is used for a group of people as well over here it means a group of three people. So in other words, three individuals, three people. They came. فَأَقْبَلَ So he came forward, he advanced. Who? Ithnani. Two of them. Three people walked into the masjid while the Prophet ﷺ and the companions were sitting. Two of them came forward towards the Messenger of Allah, إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَذَهَبَ وَاحِدٌ And one went back. Three walked in, two came forward and one Returned, he went back. Qala, he said, who said the narrator, that fawaqafa, so both of them stood, ala Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, faamma ahaduhuma, so as for one of them, faraa furjatan, so he saw a gap. Where? Fil halqati, in the circle. You know your word halaqa, right? This is the same word actually. Because halaqa is what a small gathering of, Knowledge of study. 
So because it's small, this is why people would sit, are supposed to sit in a circle. So these two men who came forward, they stood before the Prophet ﷺ as if they were looking for a place to sit. One of them, he saw a gap in the circle. So what did he do? فَجَلَسَ فِيهَا So he went and sat in that gap. وَأَمَّا الْآخَرُ And as for the other, فَجَلَسَ So he sat خَلْفَهُمْ Behind them. Behind who? Behind the people who were sitting in the circle. He could not find a place within the circle. So what did he do? He went and sat behind the people who were sitting in the circle. So you can imagine like another circle forming around that circle. So he went and sat behind the people. وَأَمَّا الثَّالِثُ And as for the third person, فَأَدْبَرَ So he returned ذَاهِبًا Going away. Meaning he went back. He didn't find a spot or he was shy to come and sit anywhere. He didn't think it was appropriate. It suited him to sit behind. He wanted to be in the front. So he just left. He said, forget it. He went away. فَلَمَّا So when فَرَغَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ When the Prophet ﷺ فَرَغَ Meaning he was he completed his speech when he became free from what he was saying. This shows that he was addressing and as the people walked in, as they were finding spots for them to sit at, he continued his speech. When he became free, قَالَ He said, أَلَا أُخْبِرُكُمْ Should I not inform you عَنِ النَّفَرِ الثَّلَاثَةِ About the group of these three people. أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمْ As for one of them. فَأَوَا إِلَى اللَّهِ So he took refuge in Allah, meaning he gave himself to Allah. فَآوَاهُ اللَّهُ So Allah also gave him refuge. Meaning Allah also took him in, into his mercy. وَأَمَّا الْآخَرُ And as for the other. فَاسْتَحْيَا So he felt shy. فَاسْتَحْيَا اللَّهُ مِنْهُ So Allah also felt, felt shy from him. وَأَمَّا الْآخَرُ And as for the other, meaning the third person. فَأَعْرَضَ He turned away. فَأَعْرَضَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ So Allah also turned away from him. What does this hadith show to us? That sitting in a gathering, sitting in a place, choosing a spot for yourself, reflects who a person is, what he is, what his status is in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It shows that if a person is eager to come closer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also eager to welcome him, to accept him, to bless him. If a person is shy, he is reluctant, he stays away, he is hesitant, then he receives the same from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if a person turns away, then Allah also turns away from him. Sitting in a gathering does not just show, you know, whatever spot a person found convenient for himself, he went and sat there. No, it reflects the entire attitude of a person. How eager he is, how serious he is. The more eager, the more serious he is, he will find a place in the gathering. A place that is suitable. Meaning a place where he can actually learn properly. And if a person is not that serious, he doesn't find a convenient spot, then he will just go away. And when he will go away, who is he depriving? Himself. We see three attitudes in this hadith. First is the case of the one who came forward. The Prophet ﷺ was addressing the people. The halaqa has already started. The people are already there. But just because he is a little late... 
doesn't mean he should go away. Doesn't mean he should not take advantage from what he may be able to. And just because people were already sitting, it doesn't mean that he has to go and sit at the back. No, he came forward. He stood looking for a spot. And the one who comes forward, the one who is eager, the one who is looking for an opportunity, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him the opportunity. He could have just sat at the door. He could have just sat at the end of the majlis. But he came forward, looked around, waited, found a spot, went and sat there. He did not settle with less. When it comes to dunya, we want the best. Those who want the deen, they also want the best. So this person came, he waited, he looked, he didn't settle with less. He wanted the best and he found a spot. Because when a person strives, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also give him the tawfiq. And look at the words that the Prophet sallallahu used to describe him. أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمْ فَأَوَى إِلَى اللَّهِ فَأَوَاهُ When a person comes to gain knowledge, when a person comes to a gathering of knowledge, of ilm, then he is giving himself to Allah. In the sense that he is taking the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we come into a gathering, we're not coming for one another. We're not coming for the sake of each other. We're actually coming to gain the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To acquire, to gain His protection, to gain His blessing. And when a person comes with that intention and he strives, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also bless him. He will also take him into His mercy. And this is so true. That the more serious a person is in acquiring knowledge, that is what he gets. Meaning he does go, he does leave with knowledge. He does not leave empty-handed. When a person goes somewhere to get something, he has made up his mind, he has that firm resolve, he has that firm intention, then what will happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also give him what he wants. He gave himself to Allah, Allah took him in. Allah also gave him refuge. As for the second person, what did he do? He was shy of overcrowding the place. He was shy. So what did he do? He felt hesitant. He did not come forward. So he sat at the end. And this was also okay for him. Because he did not go away. He did not find a place in the circle. He didn't say, forget it, let me go away. No, he was shy. So okay, he also found a place that was at the back. And the scholars, they have interpreted this, Allahu minhu that Allah was shy from him, in two ways. First of all, that, you know, he was reluctant, so Allah was also reluctant in giving him. Obviously, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's haya is different from the haya of people, and we understand that. And what this means is that a person will only find Allah the way he thinks of him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, I am as my servant thinks I am. So if you feel shy, then you will be deprived. You understand? If you will not come forward, it will not be forced on you. If you stay away, knowledge will also stay away from you. If you hesitate, you will not get the opportunity. What does this teach us? What does this teach us? Should we be shy when it comes to learning, when it comes to gaining, when it comes to excelling? No, we should not hesitate. We should come forward. Because if we hesitate, if we avoid, then what will happen? Opportunities will be taken away from us as well. Allah will also be haya with us. Hayy with us. So the one who is shy, Allah will also be shy with him. Secondly, the scholars have interpreted this as that Allah was shy from him, meaning Allah did not punish him. He also forgave him. 
because he did not this man when he walked in he did not find a spot in the actual circle so he did not want to cause any inconvenience to the people he did not want to create any disturbance so what did he do out of shyness out of courtesy he just went and sat at the back so he didn't leave but he also didn't strive much so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not get upset with him allah was not angry with him allah also forgave him what does it show to us what's the lesson that we learn from this if an opportunity comes before you take it grab it the thing is many times we're waiting for opportunities we don't look for them we don't search for them the first man he came and he was looking he didn't say oh everybody's sitting already let me just go sit at the back no he said no i want the best i want the best he was looking for opportunities he found the second person he waited he didn't find so he just went and sat at the back the third individual what did he do what did he do he just turned away and he went back why because he did not find a spot in the halaqa in the circle because he did not find a suitable spot to sit at he said forget it i'm going away what does this teach us that if you don't find the ideal the perfect the best spot it doesn't mean that you deprive yourself completely many times it happens that if for example a person is a few minutes late to a class for a genuine reason they will feel shy walking in and they will not come into the class at all and they will say you know what i missed 5 minutes forget it i'll just miss i'll just skip the whole class i'll listen to the recordings later no if you have missed 5 or 10 minutes it doesn't mean that you deprive yourself from the rest of the 25 minutes you understand because the one who turns away then allah also turns away from him the one who turns away from that opportunity he doesn't ever get that opportunity again and you may have experienced it yourself as well that you came a few minutes late you said okay forget it let me just do this right now i'll catch up with somebody else and you never caught up you never got the chance to do it again that when it comes to dunya we take the initiative whereas we see here that when it comes to the matters of the deen we're supposed to take initiative over there when it comes to the matters of deen what is our attitude generally we become very passive yeah if we find an opportunity good enough if we don't it's okay doesn't matter that we learn about many etiquettes of sitting in a gathering from this hadith and not just etiquettes of sitting in a gathering but in general as well that first of all we see that if you ever find an empty spot anywhere go and fill that up go and fill that up and alhamdulillah this is emphasized a lot over here and alhamdulillah i don't see any empty spot right now towards the front so very good huh? alhamdulillah reminders do benefit huh? no the second person was shy so allah was shy from him and the third person went away so allah also turned away from him that sometimes it happens that you walk into for example the masjid or the classroom and you see empty spots towards the front and you feel that you could go fill them up but you feel shy of walking in because you feel that you might disturb other people the thing is that we should be careful if you think that the gap is very little there isn't enough space for a person for another person to come and sit there then be considerate of other people and don't go and fill that spot however if you think that that spot is big enough and other people could squish a little and you think they'll be okay with it they are knowledgeable enough to you know tafassahu fil majalis then go ahead and take that opportunity now and we learned earlier that there's two types of haya haya that is praiseworthy and haya that is blameworthy if a person out of shyness stays away that no no i don't want to go to the front then this is haya that is blameworthy because we feel that oh everybody is going to be looking at us no 
This is why I said as long as we don't create any disturbance or any cause any inconvenience to the people because we have also been forbidden from crossing you know the necks of the people meaning going from between in a way that we are disturbing other people. So whatever spot we find we should go and sit there. The closer the better. But do not cause inconvenience. That many times we're just waiting for the ideal situation. You know when this is done for me and that is done for me and the situation is perfect, only then I will come forward and do what I have to do. But when it comes to dunya matters, many times the situation is not ideal. The circumstances are not always favorable. But still, we will take advantage the best that we can. You know, many times it happens that, you know, you go to a grocery store, the line is long. What will you do? Look for the shortest line. Isn't it so? And you will be looking, scanning the carts of people, which person has the least items so that I can go and stand behind them because we want to save time. But when it comes to the matters of deen, it's okay. Never mind. I was just saying that this also shows how much they had really made up their mind to learn. So going to the gathering of knowledge, sitting down, like being in a state where I'm going to go, I'm going to learn, I'm going to find a way to sit and learn regardless. Whereas another person might be, well, I'm not so sure. Another person, well, if there's no spot, like he hadn't really made up his mind. And so like you were referring back to being eager about seeking the knowledge. And I think that eagerness um, also with having made up the mind that, yes, I'm going to go and I'm not leaving until I have something with me. Yes. For the weekend course that's going on right now to Kiwi 4, when we get students, there was very limited space and there were some students who were very young as well. And we didn't have any space and we said, okay, now we'll put you on the waiting list. And they said, they wrote us these letters because we told them, okay, tell us, why do you want to study? And they wrote these nice letters that on the day of judgment, if Allah SWT asked me, you know, what am I going to say to him? Things like this. And now we've noticed that we had the first practice test last weekend, this weekend, and one of the sisters who came out on third or second or third, she was younger. She was the one who was on the waiting list. We weren't going to take her, but we took her because she was begging and standing in line for so many hours. SubhanAllah. MashaAllah. So the one who wants to do something, they find their way. And Allah also gives him the opportunity. Bab qawlin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Rubba muballaghin Many of who? Muballagh Who is that? Muballagh Mufa'al Maf'ul The one to whom Tabligh has been done Meaning to whom something has been conveyed. So rubba muballaghin Many times, the muballaq, meaning the one to whom something has been conveyed to, they are aw'a, aw'a, from wa'i. وَتَعِيَهَا udunun wa'iyah. What does it mean? To retain something. Aw'a, more retaining. Meaning the one who retains more, the one who remembers more, the one who understands more. Min, then, sami'in, the listener. The statement of the Prophet ﷺ that many a person to whom something is conveyed may retain it better than the one who heard it. What does it mean by this? That they are able to remember and retain better than those who conveyed it to them. The word rubba. What does rubba mean? Hmm? Perhaps, maybe, it gives a meaning of taqlil to show the qidla that some, okay, a few and sometimes it gives the meaning of takthir, many, a lot. And remember that the meaning of the word rubba changes according to the context. Sometimes it gives the meaning of maybe, perhaps, as we have learned in one of the ahadiths earlier. Sometimes it gives the meaning of taqlil and sometimes it also gives the meaning of takthir. Like for example in the ayah, 
rubama yawaddulladina kafaru law kanu muslimin over there rubama means takthir meaning many times they will wish that they were muslims when in the hereafter many many times again and again they will wish over here we see rubba this is for taqlil it's not for takthir it is for taqlil because it happens that the one who is being taught or the one who is being conveyed he understands better or he remembers better than the one who taught him the one who passed on that knowledge to him however this is not more common what is more common is that the one who is conveying understands better the one who is conveying the one who is telling the other is teaching the other remembers better understands better and that is the reason why he is teaching in the first place so under this chapter heading Imam Bukhari gives a hadith that حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا بشر قال حدثنا ابن عون عن ابن سيرين عن عبد الرحمن بن ابي بكره عن ابيه ذكر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قعد على بعيره that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was sitting قعد he was sitting on his camel and ذكر he mentioned who mentioned the narrator that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was sitting on his barir on his camel wa amsaka insanun and a person was holding bi khitamihi aw bi zimamihi he was holding on to the rein or the halter of the camel the camel as you know there is a rope that is tied to its mouth and there is a string or there is a rope that goes through the the nose as well Okay, and that ties up the mouth altogether. So this rope is called what? Khitam or Zimam. So a man was holding on to that rope. Why was he holding on to the rope? So the camel would not move. And the Prophet ﷺ sitting on the camel, he was addressing the people. Qala, he said, Ayyu yawmin hadha? Which day is this? Ayyu which? Yawmin day hadha is this? Which day is this? Fasakatna. So we were silent. Hatta until or because ظَنَنَّا we thought أَنَّهُ indeed he سَيُسَمِّيهِ soon he will name it سِوَى other than اسْمِهِ its name. The Prophet ﷺ asked the people which day is this? Obviously they knew which day it was. But they remained silent because they thought that the Prophet ﷺ was going to give that day a different name. He was going to give it another name. They knew the answer. But it was quite clear to everybody which day it was. It wasn't something hidden. So if the Prophet ﷺ is asking which day it is, there must be some reason. So this is why they remained silent. قَالَ He said, أَلَيْسَ يَوْمَ النَّحْرِ Is it not يَوْمُ النَّحْرِ قُلْنَا We said, بَلَا Of course it is. قَالَ The Prophet ﷺ said, فَأَيُّ شَهْرٍ هَذَا So which month is this? فَسَكَتْنَا So we remained silent. حَتَّى Because ظَنَنَّا We thought that أَنَّهُ Indeed he سَيُسَمِّيهِ بِغَيْرِ اسْمِهِ That he will give it another name. فَقَالَ So he said, أَلَيْسَ بِذِي الْحِجَّةِ Is it not ذُو الْحِجَّةِ Is it not the month of ذُو الْحِجَّةِ قُلْنَا We said, بَلَا Of course. قَالَ He said, Prophet ﷺ then said, فَإِنَّ دِمَاءَكُمْ So indeed your blood. وَأَمْوَالَكُمْ And your wealth, your properties. وَأَعْرَضَكُمْ And your honor. أَعْرَاض This is the plural of عِرْض. We did the word عِرْض earlier. So your blood, meaning your lives, your properties, as well as your honor. 
بَيْنَكُمْ Between yourselves, among yourselves is haramun, it is sacred. How sacred is it? كَحُرْمَةِ يَوْمِكُمْ هَذَا Just like the sacredness of your day, which is this one. Which day is it? The day of Nahr, in the month of Dhul-Hijjah, right? the days of Hajj. So very sacred. And remember, in the sacred months, we're not allowed to even fight one another. Isn't it so? And in the sacred months, it is not permissible to have any wars. And especially those people who are at Hajj, they cannot even clip their nails, cut their hair. لا رفث ولا فسوق ولا جدال في الحج. So he's reminding them that look at the place that you are in. Look at the time. Your blood, your properties, your honor is haram, is sacred, just as this day is sacred. Just as this day is sacred. Likewise, your lives, your properties, your honor is also sacred. في شهركم هذا In this month of yours. Dhul-Hijjah, a sacred month. في بلدكم هذا In your city, this city. Which city is that? The city of Makkah. So just as that place is sacred, that time is sacred, likewise your properties, meaning of one another, the life of each other, as well as the honor of one another is also sacred. In other words, just as you won't harm someone at this time, in this place, likewise you should not harm someone at any other time, at any other place. Just as you have respect for one another at this time, at this place, similarly you should have respect for others at other times and also at other places. Respect for one another is not limited to only the city of Makkah, only the state of fasting, only the state of ihram. Because it happens when people are fasting, they say, look, I'm fasting. I cannot lie. I cannot do such and such. When people are at hajj, when they're wearing their ihram, then if somebody bothers them, Even if they want to yell, even if they want to pick a fight, what do they do? They remain silent because they say, I am at hajj. So at hajj or in the state of ihram, at that time, in that place, just as you respect one another, likewise you should have respect for each other at other places, at other times as well. And the Prophet ﷺ then said, لِيُبَلِّغَ الشَّاهِدْ لِيُبَلِّغ Lam over here is of Amr. That he should convey. Who should convey? A shahid, the one who is present. Who should he convey this message to? Al-Ghaib, the one who is absent. The one who is listening, meaning the Samir, the person who is shahid, the person who is a witness here, who is present here. He should convey whatever he has heard, whatever he has learned to who? Those who are not here. Those who are not here, why are they missing? Why are they absent? What's the reason? Either because they're not born, they weren't there like us, or because they were at some other place at that time. Something else prevented them from being at that gathering, at that place, at that time. So whoever is present here should convey to who? All those who are absent. Meaning convey. Why? فَإِنَّ shahida. For indeed the shahid. Meaning the one who is present. Asa perhaps أَنْ يُبَلِّغَ Perhaps he will convey to who? Man to the one who? هُوَ he is أَوْعَى لَهُ مِنْهُ Awalahu, meaning he will remember it more. He will remember what more? What has been conveyed to him. And he will remember it more than who? Min who? Than him? Than who? Than the person who conveyed to him. What does this hadith show to us? That convey, because you never know, the one who is receiving it from you might benefit from it more than you have benefited. And he may benefit others more than you have benefited others.
convey, pass on whatever you know, because you don't know who is receiving it from you, what they might do with that knowledge in the future. They might pass it on, they might benefit from it more than you have. And this shows to us that it is not permissible for us to keep knowledge with ourselves only. Kitmanul ilm, concealing knowledge. It is something that is prohibited. It is something that is not permissible. So when a person learns, when a person knows something, then it is his obligation that he should convey it. And he should be hopeful that those to whom he is conveying, whatever he is conveying to, will remember it more than him and they will pass it on better than he has. This hadith teaches us a number of lessons. First of all, we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he was giving a khutbah, he was addressing the people sitting where? On a camel. And this shows that it is permissible for a person to address others while he is situated or seated at a place that is higher than theirs. Higher than the rest of the people. This is not kibr, this is not arrogance, this is not pride. Because yes, we see that the Prophet ﷺ would sit amongst the people on the floor along with them such that when the Bedouin man came, he couldn't even recognize which one was the Prophet ﷺ. However, there are times when the gathering is larger and the one who is speaking, the one who is addressing the people has to be at a higher place in order for his voice to reach out to everybody and in order for the people to see him. Secondly, we see the great respect that the Sahaba, the companions had for the Prophet ﷺ. That they knew the answer. They knew exactly which day it was, which month it was, but still they did not speak. Why? Because of respect for the Prophet ﷺ. Does this mean that anytime we're asked a question, we should not speak out of respect for the person who is asking? No. There are times when it is expected of you to answer a question. And there are times when a question is being asked in a rhetorical sense. You should understand what kind of a question it is. If it's a question of istifha, meaning you are being asked, an answer is being required of you, then it means that you respond. Like the gathering in which the Prophet ﷺ asked the companions about which tree resembled the believer. The Sahaba answered him. They gave their opinion. They answered whatever they understood. However, there are other times when a question is being asked, not because an answer is needed, but to make the listeners more alert. It's a rhetorical question. It's a question that is meant to alert the listeners. So the Sahaba, they knew which kind of question they were being asked. And accordingly, either they responded or they remained silent. And this shows the wisdom, the understanding that they had developed. You were going to say something? You are teaching us, we stay quiet on purpose. We know you asked, you are going to answer. And many times we understand now you ask, you want and answer still from you us. still used to remain silent sometimes. Obviously, if a person does not know the answer, they should remain silent. But when a question is being asked, then... You know, we should speak up. Anyway, we should know when to answer and when not to answer. Anything you'd like to add before we continue? The narrator even told the position that the Prophet ﷺ was in when he was narrating it. So they didn't take it out of context, but they told specific. Yes, good. Answer. Now, what's the chapter heading over here? That many times a person who is receiving understands better, remembers better than the one who is conveying. What does it teach us? What lesson do we learn from this? The chapter heading means that when you're conveying something to someone, it's quite possible that they understand, they remember better than you have understood, than you have remembered. 
Because sometimes we think that just because we were in that class or we have read this book, we understand it much better, we will remember it much better, we will relate it much better. But it's quite possible that the person that you pass on that knowledge to, they will use that knowledge much more than you have. Assalamualaikum. I was just thinking that while you were um, explaining the hadith, I was actually thinking of Bukhari himself. And I was like, isn't it amazing that he had many, many, many teachers, but the way that he has put together his book and the way he used them to prove certain things, I was just thinking it's absolutely amazing that his understanding went to another level. Many times it happens that when we learn about something, you know, we feel that we have something that other people don't have and we want to keep it to ourselves because we feel special in that way. But this is not right. Tell other people as much as you can, whatever you know, pass it on, even if it means that at the end of the day, you and them will be at the same level of knowledge. Why? Because it's quite possible they do more with that knowledge than you have. I was thinking in terms of uh, PhD students, when they do research, that particular topic that they choose, they have years and years and years, and yet the person has not arrived at a certain conclusion and finally, one person comes so many years down the road yes. and they come to an end result. Yes. And this is like, for, for instance, you know, people have been researching cancer and AIDS and those kind of things. And then suddenly at the, you know, at the flick of a button, yes. they come across uh, the solution to a problem. So you never know. And it's being conveyed. The same material is being conveyed. Yes. But the end result is different. Exactly. It's not always that. And sometimes you can connect to the knowledge at a certain level but the one you're conveying to uh, can connect more in their life and therefore they remember it because at that point they may be going through a certain thing that they could connect to yes. and therefore convey it better exactly so be very generous with your knowledge that's the lesson we learn be very generous share whatever you know pass it on because you never know the one who has learned something from you may do much better than you have done Bismillah. I was thinking about the children also. I remember once I tell my kids about the hadith, uh, you shouldn't make a person get up from his place and you sit in it. And then we have a guest kids and I tell my kids, give that place to sit. And he said, didn't you tell me the hadith, <laughs> this one? So I forgot that hadith and he reminded me. We were alive at that time, but now it gives us so much hope that when we are getting this knowledge, we should also have hope that we can maybe understand it. That we see that over time fiqh has evolved so much that there were many matters that were not clear to the people of the past, but they became clear with more knowledge. For example, in the third generation, the fourth generation after the Prophet ﷺ, everybody did not have knowledge of all of the ahadith. But later on, when the collections such as that of Sahih Bukhari and other collections came up, when more authentic ahadith were clear to people, you know, people understood the deen much better. Well, so hadith to get the knowledge from Prophet Sallallahu that even they, if they didn't speak, they were waiting for Prophet to give something new. And yeah. they waited at that time, even though they know the answer, yes. but they were hadith of seeking knowledge. Yes. I find that just following on with one of the points another sister made was with the project that I'm doing, they say like, you know, a photo speaks a thousand words. So sometimes I put a photo up and come up with like the different sisters that see the photo they come up with like so many you know wild explanations for it so i think like everyone's background like when you share something really small everyone's background can bring so much more element into that thing that's so small and it can touch so many people if you share like anything small that you know very true you may feel it yourself that for example if, if we were to study all of these ahadith individually ourselves we would not understand the way we're understanding right now when you tell somebody else, 
they give their reflection, their understanding. And together, it makes so much more sense. So whatever you know, share it. Even if it means giving a comment in class. Because you never know, somebody might benefit more than we have. Let's continue. باب العلم قبل القول والعمل العلم knowledge knowledge comes قبل القول before speech والعمل and action what does it mean that before talking and before acting before saying something and before doing something what's the first step gaining knowledge now under this chapter heading Imam Bukhari does not really quote a hadith with a sanad if you look at it he's quoted statements as well as you know, from the Qur'an, from the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, as well as the companions. However, he has not mentioned a hadith with a sanad. Rather, he gives athar and he also mentions verses that prove his point. And we see that this chapter heading of Babul Al-Ilmu Qabl Al-Qawli Wal-Amal, this is something that is proven. This is something that has many evidences and it's not necessary that you know several ahadiths be mentioned as an evidence for this because this is a fact. This point, it has evidences from you know, athar as well as nazar. What does it mean by athar? Meaning from some text. For example, from the text of the Qur'an and Sunnah. In the Qur'an, for example, Imam Bukhari mentions over here, لِقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى Because the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Know that there is no God but Allah. فَبَدَأَ بِالْعِلْمِ So he began with knowledge. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say over here, قُولُوا What did he say? فَعْلَمْ Iman. And statements and actions, all of that begins with what? Knowledge. Knowledge comes first. So this fact that al-ilmu qabl al-qawli wal-amal, this is proven by evidences, dalil that are athari as well as nazari. Nazar meaning intellectual. Like for example, it is understood, it is only logical that a person cannot do amal except with knowledge. Knowledge comes first and then comes action. All actions are based on some kind of knowledge. لِقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَبَدَأَ بِالْعِلْمِ So he began with knowledge. So know first and act second. What comes first? Knowledge. What comes second? Actions and statements. And this shows to us the importance of gaining knowledge. Because unless and until a person gains knowledge, he cannot do amal, he cannot say the right qawl. Question, how can a person attain knowledge? What are the different ways of gaining knowledge? I'm asking you. It's not a rhetorical question. What are the different ways of gaining knowledge? By reading, by listening, by observing, by asking, by attending a class, by teaching, experience. If you look at it, all of these ways can be summarized into three. First of all, knowledge is attained through a teacher. And this is the best way. Why? Because a teacher has what the student does not have. The teacher has sometimes what a student cannot find in a book or what a student cannot understand just by reading in a book. And learning from a teacher is much more faster and much more efficient and much more effective. And it's also the safest way of learning. If you want to figure out what a particular word, you know, its root is, its mustar is, its uh, literal meaning is, you could be looking through one dictionary into the other, but if you find somebody who knows from before, you just call them up, you just ask them a question, and there you have your answer within seconds. So it's much more effective. It's also safer. How? What you read from the book, you can misunderstand. What you read in a book, it's quite possible you skip a line. You forget to read a particular word. 
Isn't it so? You don't see it. You skip a page. You miss a page. You just didn't find it. But when you understand from a teacher, when you learn from a teacher, it's much more safe. However, when it comes to learning from a teacher, a person must be very careful where he's learning from, who he's learning from. A person must be careful. Meaning that just because he's found a lecture, a recording, just because he's found a person who's teaching, doesn't mean he should go and start learning everything from them. A person must be careful who he is gaining his deen from. There are many things that must be checked. First of all, the aqidah of the teacher. Because remember that ilm, especially that of the deen, is not taught without aqidah. Meaning, the beliefs are mixed into that knowledge. As that knowledge is taught, along with that, aqidah is also taught. And we want to make sure that our aqidah is correct. So the person whom we are learning from, we should be sure about their correct aqidah. Secondly, we should also see the deen of the person. The deen of the person. That is it just knowledge or is it also deen? Is it just information or is there also something of relevance? The second way of attaining knowledge is through kitab, through a book. What does it mean by that? That a person finds a book and he reads it. He studies that book. However, when a person is gaining knowledge from a book, he must pay a lot of attention and he must be also very, very careful. And it's best that he studies a book under the supervision of a teacher. Why? Because if a person reads only, it's quite possible he has misunderstood what the author is saying. Or the author has mentioned only one point. He's left out some other points. Or it's quite possible that the author has mentioned something that was proven wrong later. So it's necessary that a person, when he reads a book, when he studies a book as well, that should be done with great attention and care, and preferably under the supervision of a teacher. And it is said that the one whose source of knowledge, whose evidence is only a book, then his errors, his mistakes are greater. They are more than his being right. That he is more prone to making errors than being right. Book knowledge is not sufficient. It's imperative. It's very, very important that knowledge is learned from a teacher. Because we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He did not just send the kitab. He also sent the mu'allim. Yatlu alayhim ayatihi. وَيُزَكِّهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ So when we are learning, yes, we benefit from books, but at the same time, we should also be in the right environment, where we can ask questions from a teacher, where he can clarify matters to us, where he can correct our thinking. Because if we're self-taught, if we're just teaching ourselves from books, then it's quite possible that we learn incorrectly or our knowledge is incomplete. Thirdly, the third way of acquiring knowledge is through amalul mashhur. What does that mean? Through the amal, actions that are very popular. Observation. Just observing what other people do. What does it mean by that? That a person does not study from a book, he doesn't study from a teacher, he just looks at other people. What are they doing? Okay, whatever they're doing, I'll do that as well. That is his evidence. His source of knowledge is what? The awam, the common people. And this is the worst way of gaining knowledge. Why? Because just because you see somebody doing something doesn't mean it is right. Doesn't mean it is the best way. If you are looking at someone who is learned, who is knowledgeable, then definitely you can learn from their manners, you can learn from their etiquette, you can learn from their actions as well. Because you can ask them, oh, why did you do this and this? However, 
just observing the common people, the masses, is not the way of learning the deen. For example, if a person is asked, why are you praying? This is what we Muslims do. We pray. Okay, we pray five times a day. Why five times a day? Because this is what we Muslims do. Okay, how many rakat do you pray for? Fajr. Two fakt. Why? This is what we Muslims do. I mean, I don't know what the evidence is. No. Knowledge has to be learned from a teacher as well as from a book. And just by observing the common masses, observing the people, this is not sufficient. And we see over here that Imam Bukhari, he writes a separate chapter on this. Al-ilmu qabla al-qawli wal-amal. That knowledge comes before speech and actions. Meaning you have to acquire knowledge and then you talk and then you act. Because if a person speaks without knowledge, acts without knowledge, then what's going to happen? He is going to make mistakes. And whatever he's doing, whatever he's saying is based on what? Perhaps just assumption. And we learn in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the Bani Israel that وَمِنْهُمْ أُمِّيُّونَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ الْكِتَابِ إِلَّا and this is something that is blameworthy, meaning a person is guilty. If he has the opportunity to learn and he does not learn and he goes on speaking without knowledge. So when we convey, meaning speak to convey, when we act on something, we must base it on what? Knowledge. Knowledge comes first and then comes action and darwa. Akhlaq, good akhlaq, you know, having respect for other people. Any action, any amal, whether it is amalul qalb or amalul lisan or amalul jawarih, any of that can only be done unless and until a person has knowledge. And knowledge is acquired through studying with someone, reading something. Okay, we will conclude over here inshallah. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.